So tonight we are going to be uh, studying on the book of Daniel and uh, the prophecies in Daniel. And this is quite a, an amazing book, probably one of the most remarkable books in the entire Bible. And we're going to take as our focus scripture from Daniel chapter 9, 21, which chapter 9 is when he receives um, one of his greatest revelations, which gives us the timing of the death of the Messiah. is taken from Daniel chapter 9 and verse 21. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation in my message on Sunday, I was talking about the evening and morning sacrifice. This is what Daniel is talking about. He was was about in the afternoon at the time of the evening sacrifice, even though they were not uh, actually doing that because they were captives. Daniel still prayed twice a day, uh, three times a day, but especially at the morning and evening sacrifice. Verse 22, and he informed me and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. So this is uh, one of the key verses about the prophecy and the life of Daniel in that he was, he was put in a place to bring revelation to Israel and not only Israel, but to us. Amen. So we're going to, first of all, before we go into the prophecies, just go over a little bit of his story. And you may wonder tonight, well, what do I care about all these prophecies? Well... Uh, the truth is, I believe we're on the cusp of some of the final prophecies of the Bible being fulfilled. So we're going to study some of that tonight. And uh, in Daniel chapter 1, 1, it starts with the story of Daniel and his friends. In Daniel 1, 1 says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Judah and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. And so they had captured... Um, Jerusalem, they had captured a lot of the princes of the royal household. And we see that uh, they took these young men into Babylon. And though it's not explicit, it would appear that they were made eunuchs. Can you imagine as a 18-year-old young man in the prime of your life uh, to be facing that, that now you would never uh, be able to marry, you would never know what that pleasure would be? Because uh, Israel had backslidden through that, the Lord had allowed Babylon to c come into Israel and to take it. You could have been bitter. You could have been mad at God. You could have been hateful. But that was not the case. That was not the case. We see that these young men uh, still clung to God despite what had happened. They did not blame God. They blamed Israel and their fellow Jews for not following what God had told them to do. And in the story, we're going to be looking at some of the principal prophecies that are given in the book of Daniel. And of course, uh, the first and major one is, of course, 
the one on the image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep brake from him. Then the king commanded to call all the magicians, or magi as they were known then, and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. But you know the story very well that they could not actually uh, tell the dream because the king did not give them the dream for them to tell an interpretation. He said, listen, I know you guys, you'll make some stuff up. So just to prove that you're telling me the truth and you really have the ability to be the interpretation, interpreters of dreams, I want you to tell me the dream and then its interpretation. And of course, uh, they could not. And the king, of course, was, was very mad. And he decided that he was going to um, execute all of the wise men. In verse 3, it said, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show thee the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If he will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, he shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made into a dunghill. Uh, The thing about Nebuchadnezzar, which was unique about his kingdom, was that he was an absolute ruler. He answered to no one. They had no law but what he said. There was no written code. It was just whatever he decided. He was the absolute ruler of all his kingdom, all of his territory. And so whatever he said goes. An execution could be done just because he said so. But we see going back to chapter 1 that this set up the rise of of Daniel and his friends. When they first came to Babylon and they were put into the king's household and are going to be trained as um, uh, magicians, so to speak, as they were called then, but it would be today into a university, but it, it was under the king's eunuchs. And we see that they were offered all of the king's best food, but they refused because it was not a kosher. It was not uh, under the law, according to the law. Let's read that, Daniel 1.3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring forth certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's places, palace, sorry, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years. There's that number again. A time of testing, a time of training, that in the end thereof they might stand before the king. That was his whole uh, point. He was going to train these young men to lead different provinces and to help rule in Babylon. But the thing that came out of this was that Daniel and his friends refused to take the king's meat. Now, when you're in a peer pressure situation, or even before you get in that situation where you're going to be tempted, you're going to have to 
already have purposed in your heart what you're going to do. If you wait till the time, then you will be tempted. We have to have a a made-up mind right now what we're going to do when the time comes, when we are challenged, when Satan says to us, if thou be a son of God, because the challenge on your sonship is surely coming. It's going to come nearly every day, every week. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. Now notice, when they captured somebody, they changed their names. We talked about how when, you, when God calls someone, he changes your name. Well, we see that Satan wants to do the same thing. He wanted to change their name because he wanted to put new names upon them. Unto, the, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. Now here's what I say in verse 8. But Daniel had purposed in his heart. That means he'd had a made-up mind what was going to happen. Yes, he could have been bitter. He, he, was, he had been born into the royal household. He was one of the princes of Israel. And here he is now a captive. Not only that, although the Bible doesn't tell us explicitly, he was in all likelihood made a eunuch. He could have been so bitter. He could have shook his fist at God and said, Lord, this is not right. This is not fair. I've always served you. Now look what's happened to me. But instead, here's what verse 8 says. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now you may ask, well, what is eating some good steak and drinking some good wine? How would that defile him? Well, in these pagan civilizations, they would first offer the food to their deities. They would have been sacrificed in the temple to Marduk and been presented to their god first. In other words, it was ceremonially had been defiled. And that was one of the reasons why Daniel would not eat it. You see, Satan will come and bring something that looks so innocent to us, but it's already been defiled. We have to have purpose in our hearts that we're going to not use it. We're not going to fall for his trap. Now we see that, as I said, they changed their names and gave them Babylonian names. But before we even look at the meaning of the Babylonian names, let's look at the meaning of the Jewish names that they were originally given. We see that, of course, Daniel um, means God is my judge. Isn't that awesome? His very name means that he's going to let God judge him. God is going to be the one that works it out. God is my judge on whether I have kept my integrity. That was the name in in Hebrew, what it meant. His friend Hananiah, of course, means God has favored or God's grace. God's grace. And Mishael means who is what God is. In other words, he is like unto God. It's very close to the same name, uh, Michael. And then Azariah means Jehovah has helped. So these were the names, their birth names, and now they want to change them. Belteshazzar means Lord of the straightened treasure. That's what the name they wanted to give Daniel. In fact, if you break it up, you'll see it's Baal Te Shatzar. Tsar means Lord. And it was, he had tried to change the name to the one of the gods 
of the Babylonians. Shadrach means uh, a great scribe or a royal scribe. Meshach means a guest of the king. And Abednego means servant of Nebo, another one of their gods. So they tried to change their names because the name sometimes or very, very uh, many times has to do with the nature. Has to do with the nature. We see that in scripture so many times. So we see that they were uh, brought into Babylon as teenagers. They were probably made eunuchs. And then they were put in the king's household in the, in the charge of the eunuchs. And for three years, they were taught Babylonian science and history. In fact, the Magi, as I said. And then we go back to the, to the story that set them up. God sometimes will bring a crisis to thrust you to the forefront, to bring you to prominence. God sometimes engineers things just so that your light can shine. And this was the case with the king and his dream. Let's go back to that. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 10, we see that it says, The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. God set this up this way to elevate Daniel and his three companions so that God would get the glory, that he would be justified. The Chaldeans said, well, look, if you tell us the dream, we'll give you the meaning. But no one has ever been able to tell a dream's meaning without first knowing the dream. Verse 11, and it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show the king, show it before the king, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth. And the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. See, this crisis was brought about actually by God. Sometimes the thing that you fear is God putting you in a place where his power, his glory will manifest. Amen. They were brought into a situation where they now, after these three years, had to rely upon God because nobody could have told what the dream was, let alone interpret it. But God engineered this situation so that they could rise to prominence. We see this so clearly in this situation, that this was so they could rise to prominence. Daniel chapter 2, verse 17. So you know the story. So then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to his friends what the king had commanded, that if the wise men of Babylon could not within three weeks give him the answer, then they would all be put to death. And they went together and they were in one accord in prayer and fasting. Verse 18 that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the men of Babylon. And then was the secret revealed unto Daniel. In a night vision, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Amen. See, 
No matter what the situation is, no matter how hard the puzzle will be, if we put it into God's hand, who knows if he has not even engineered this situation so that you could rise up. Amen. So this was the case with Daniel and his friends. They prayed and then God revealed the secret to Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 28, he went before King Nebuchadnezzar and revealed this first of the great prophecies that there is a that is in the book of Daniel. Let's let's read it. Daniel two twenty eight. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. That's why this vision is so important. It tells and gives us a blueprint from the time of Daniel until, as the scripture says here, the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy body. Are these, And then he begins to tell Daniel what it was that he saw. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands and smote and smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and of clay and break them in pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof. Just telling him that dream must have astounded Nebuchadnezzar because he had called all of these wise men who had, many of them were much older than Daniel and his companions and had been uh, the scientists of their day. And they had no clue how to tell him the dream. He must have been astounded. So the very fact that they were able to tell him the dream, he had confidence in the rest of the revelation that was to come. That was what he had been wanting to hear. He didn't understand uh, what this dream meant. Let's read on. Thou, O king, Daniel now begins to give him the interpretation, art a king of kings, For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. Verse 38 I've highlighted in red because it's an amazing verse, and we'll be coming back to that. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. What an amazing verse. That's an amazing verse. We'll come back to the meaning of that. But as I said before, King Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute ruler. He answered to no one except himself. That's part of the reason he was a head of gold. As we go down and study the image, you'll see that the value of the materials, the metal, changes. It decreases. 
And the reason for that, it is showing that the leadership is not concentrated in one person. That is, it, 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 the, the next king could not make absolute decisions all by himself. So the value of the medals are showing something. And the fact that they are medals also are showing something, which we will see in some later uh, studies. Let's go on. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. The reason why it's inferior is that it was each kingdom was run more and more on a larger and larger portion of people. But he being the head, he asked counsel of no one. He asked counsel of no one. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee and another third kingdom that shall be bear rule over all the earth. So what this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had is telling us, it's telling us from the time of Daniel, the world ruling powers that would come. At the time of Daniel, of course, that was the Babylonian empire under Nebuchadnezzar. He had risen to power and uh, he had come and he had uh, surrounded Jerusalem and he had taken captives. But at this time when Daniel was first captured, he had not completely destroyed it. He had allowed uh, some of the, the kings to stay. It was the final time when he came in 586 B.C. that he completely destroyed Jerusalem and took everyone captive. But for now, at this time, he had only taken the princes. In those days, it was very common for um, ruling kingdoms to take the sons or princes of vassal kingdoms as hostages so that they would remain faithful and loyal to them. But of course, this whole story is very strange. As I said, if you remember verse 38, it gives us a clue as to who was really the power behind the throne. And also notice that this image is all made of metal. Symbolically, that does not mean human beings. In scripture, we are always uh, portrayed as dust or clay. The metal is telling us something, that this true kingdom, this true rulership, it was not really being run by Nebuchadnezzar. Let's look at the real king of Babylon, which we already know who that is. In Isaiah, the Bible starts to give us a, a little bit of a glimpse of who the real power, the little God on earth was. In Isaiah 14:4, it says, Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon, and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? The Lord shall hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hindereth. This is a little mysterious set of verses, but it is really uh, symbolizing that the king of Babylon, the real king of Babylon, was Satan. In this same book, in chapter 61 of Isaiah, this was the book that Jesus publicly read after his baptism and after he was starting his ministry. And as he's reading, one of the phrases he, he reads, he says, to come and set at liberty them that are bound. He is speaking of the king of Babylon who had bound so many people. He smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He that ruled the nations in, in anger 
persecuted and none hindereth. This head of gold, he was an absolute ruler. No one could tell him what to do. No one could control him. Let's look at some more background scriptures to shed light on the symbolism in this image. And we find probably one of the most direct references to Satan and his history in the book of Ezekiel. 28 and verse 1, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus. In scripture, the, the, the portrayal of Satan is always somewhat hidden behind a facade, in, behind, uh, uh, at the start, a human character. But as you read the definition, you realize that this cannot be a human being. Verse 2, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, Because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas. Yet thou art a man, and not God. Thou, thou, thou set thine heart as the heart of God. Behold, art thou wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from thee. With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches, and thou hast gotten gold and silver. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic hast thou increased thy riches and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches therefore thus saith the lord god because thou hast set thine set thine heart as the heart of god you're going to be cast down this scripture again is very couched it starts off speaking like it's speaking to a man but as the text goes on we see some deeper things come to light And then finally, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to to hell, to the sides of the pit. These side prophecies all point to who was truly the king of Babylon. And we're going to go back and look at that verse again. But let's continue with Daniel's interpretation of what was happening. We see him say, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, and we've explained a little bit why uh, the head was Nebuchadnezzar, because he was an absolute ruler. His breast and his arms of silver, and his belly and his thighs of brass. His legs of iron, his feet part of iron, and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. This is such an astonishing overall prophecy because what it is laying out for us are the world-ruling kingdoms before Jesus sets his own kingdom. Remember he told Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. We see that the rock is cut out of the mountain and it destroys the image in the feet. So this whole image represents all of the world ruling powers until Jesus 
sets up his kingdom. So we've established that the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar because Daniel tells him that thou, O king, art this head of gold. But in verse 39, it goes on to tell us some more. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation before the king. Thou art king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, the fowls of heaven, hath he given unto thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all things shall break in pieces and bruise them to pieces. Now, this is like an overview of the rest of the book of Daniel because uh, in chapters 7, 8, and 9 then, he breaks down the goings-on of these subsequent subsequent kingdoms. But chapter 2 gives us the overview of these world-ruling kingdoms. And of course, the Babylonian was the head of gold. Now we notice that the breasts and the two arms are of silver. And it is fitting that it should be two arms because the kingdom that would come to overthrow the Babylonians were the Medes and the Persians, the two arms. And out of that came the king who would let them go, who would authorize them to go back to Babylon, sorry, to Israel and rebuild the temple. And then the third king that would come, the next kingdom, which, which is what we were preaching about on Sunday, was the kingdom of Greece and, of course, Alexander the Great. And then the fourth kingdom after that was the Roman Empire. And, of course, iron is the strongest of those metals. Gold is very soft, even though it's precious. So is silver, so is brass. But gold, but sorry, iron is extremely strong. The Roman Empire was the strongest of the empires. But the ruler still could not just make decisions on his own. Even though he was a dictator, he had to be careful because there was a, a Roman Senate that could interfere or overrule him. He, he could get his way, but he had to do it very uh, piecemeal. Not like Nebuchadnezzar who could just say, okay, tomorrow you're all being executed. So the power level was the same, but the way they did it is represented by the difference in the metals. Amen. So we see now that Daniel is beginning, not only he's told him the dream, but now he's giving him the interpretation of the dream. And as I said, verse 38 is very striking because when you analyze it, it doesn't actually make sense unless you understand who Daniel is really talking about. Let's read it again. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, the fowls of heaven, hath he given to thine hand. Now the Babylonian empire was very great, but it did not cover the whole earth. At this time, there was a Chinese empire. There were several other empires. So what this verse is telling us is that, again, this was not speaking to Nebuchadnezzar himself, but this was speaking to the God of this world. Because it says, wheresoever the children of men dwell. That means worldwide, the person who he was really talking to. And that's why it's not clay. 
The image is not clay or china or marble. It is a metal. Because this is speaking of spiritual kingdoms that have a physical representation. A physical representation. It says, Wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the of the heaven hath he given into thine hand. In in Luke, I believe chapter four, when Jesus is being tempted, Satan says to him, Look, I'm going to show you all the kingdoms of this world. You know why? And I, I'm going to give them to you because they have been delivered unto me. This explains who this verse is really talking about. Wheresoever the children of men dwell, and the beasts of the fields, the fowls of heaven, hath he given into thine hand, hath made thee ruler over them all. If that hadn't been true, then Satan could not have tempted Jesus with the kingdoms of this world. This was what this was about. Amen. So who was really ruling the earth? Well, what happened we find in Genesis 10, after the flood, that men began to multiply. Again, they began to be rebellious. The same thing that happened in Genesis 6, where Satan's plan of corrupting the bloodline started again. In fact, in the very place where Nebuchadnezzar set up his kingdom, it's the plain of Shinar. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, in verse 8, in the Septuagint version, in the King James, it says something different. But in the Septuagint version, it says, When the Most High divided the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the nations according to the number of angels of God. What that is speaking about, it's kind of long and complicated, but what it is speaking about is that he put the angels in charge of the nations that he had created. At that time, if you read Genesis 10 and 11, it gives you the list of the 70 nations that came out of the bloodline of Noah from Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And he put the 70 angels in charge of them. That's why in Hebrews, under the new covenant, in chapters 1 and 2, it says that we are not subject now to the rulership of ages. He has not placed the age to come under the rulership of angels. But that was why you see that the image had metal because it was not mankind that was ultimately in charge. It was these spirit beings. When we look at the, at the, um, the table of nations, we can see um, what had happened just after the flood, how men began to multiply and how the table of nations started to form. And if you read Genesis 10 and 11, you will count 70 nations. That's why when the children of Israel formed a council, they took that as being the optimum number for their Sanhedrin. And so they had 70 elders. I don't know if you can see that, but we're not going to go into the detail. But from Japheth, Noah, Ham, and Shem came all these nations. And they they did not follow after God. They started to rebel. They started to backslide, so to speak. And we see that God had promised Noah that he would not this time destroy the earth with a flood, but next time it's going to be with fire. And so when you look at the Babylonian Empire, you can see that although it was very large, it was not worldwide. But the verse 8 is speaking to someone 
who has earth-wide rulership, the metal of gold. Lucifer was the son of the dawn. dawn. That's what his name means, light-bearer. The children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, and the fowls of heaven hath he given into your hand. Thou art this head of gold. Quite an amazing scripture. He was the real power behind the throne. So now let's look at the image in a little bit more detail and understand what the Bible is telling us about the world ruling powers that were to come after Daniel. So the next power that was to come, as I said, was the Medes and Persians, which the Babylonian kingdom fell in 538 B.C. under the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. His name was Nabonidus. He was the king who then called Daniel, who by this time was an old man. And he had gone and used all of the holy treasures that had been pillaged from the temple to have himself a party. Even Nebuchadnezzar had not touched any of them. He had kept them uh, in, a, in his treasury, but he had never defiled them. Here comes Nabonidus and brings out all of these treasures to have a party. And of course, you know the story. There appeared a hand writing on the wall, mine, mine, tikel, upharsin, meaning your kingdom has been weighed and found wanting. And that very night, the Medes and the Persians took over the kingdom of Babylon, fulfilling the next part of the image, the breastplate of silver and the arms of gold. So it started out with Cyrus conquering some surrounding territory, and then finally he entered Babylon and took it without a fight, really, because they came in underneath the river. The river dried up, and they came in through the river, and they took over Babylon. And so the kingdom of silver began. They lasted for about 200 years, and it was during this time that Esther um, married Ahasuerus, or his, his uh, name that's in literature, Xerxes. And it was his grandson who then went to fight Alexander the Great. So this was the kingdom of silver. And the amazing thing about this is that the name of the king was prophesied 200 years before this happened in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah lived about 700 B.C., Daniel and all of this happened around 500, in the 500 to 520 B.C. But there in the book of Daniel, verse 1, is a prophecy that he would be the one to release the Jews and that God had chosen him even before he was born to do this. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him. What an amazing prophecy. That's why I said there is no book no religious book that has this kind of detail. Now, of course, the skeptics would say, oh, no, no, no. They put this in after the event. They wrote his name in and they wrote this after the event. The problem is that the, the scripts, the manuscripts that have been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls go back hundreds of years before Christ. Prophecies of his birth hundreds of years before Christ. And that is by their own scientific meaning. So this was the kingdom of silver. So when he conquered Babylon, 
he set up the first Charter of Human Rights and had a written law. This is, this is why he was silver, because he then had a written law which he had to abide by. If you remember the story of Darius, that once he had given an edict and it had been written into law, even though he wanted to change his mind and release Daniel from the lion's den, he couldn't do it. Even after he found out that he had been tricked, because now it had been written into law, because he was not a head of gold kind of kingdom, he was a head of silver, and that meant he had to abide by, by written laws. So we see the metals decreasing here in, in value. Let's go on. And then finally, in 356, Alexander the Great came to power. And we talked about that Sunday in the miracle in the winter season. Alexander, though, respected the Jewish religion. And even when he came through Jerusalem... Uh, there is a story how the high priest had been warned and told by God not to resist him, but in fact to greet him. And he came to Jerusalem, and as the story goes, he allowed the priest to sacrifice unto Jehovah. But many years later, his successor, Antiochus uh, IV, who named himself God Manifest, was the one who came as the part of the kingdom of brass to rule Jerusalem. But the kingdom of Brass, although it was very large, as you can see in the map, was not the greatest empire. Daniel chapter 10 verse 20 gives the details of some of the fights that were going on between some of these kingdoms. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? The angel who had come to bring him understanding came to him and explained during the kingdom, um, during the the era of the Persian kingdom, the silver kingdom, now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. When I am gone forth to, and when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia will come. Against this is detail showing the fulfillment of the dream and the world ruling powers that were to come. You can see that we are in a spiritual warfare and the kingdoms that are, are of this world are led by spirit princes. The angel had to fight his way to get the message to Daniel. And he told him, listen, when I'm leaving you, I've got to go back and I've got to fight with the king, the prince of Persia. And then when, I, when he is gone, the prince of Grecia will come. Right now, we're living right down in the age of the ten toes, the metal mixed with the clay. We're going to look at that in a little bit deeper. Finally, the Greek kingdom was overthrown and then came the kingdom of iron as prophesied in Daniel chapter 2 verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all things it shall break in pieces and bruise. Daniel 2 verse 40. But the dream isn't over yet. The dream doesn't end until the stone. Daniel 2.42 And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. And I've highlighted that. 
understand that the iron is trying to mix, that is the spirit world will be trying to mix with mankind in the time of the, of the, of the toes. That's why we have so much gender confusion, no doubt. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, God does not need any help. He can do it all by himself. Amen. The clay, the silver, and the gold, and the, the great God hath made known to you king what shall come to pass hereafter and the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure amen so tonight all we've done is laid the groundwork for diving into these prophecies in detail but i wanted to set up this background so that in coming lessons uh, you will understand where we're going we're going to look at each of these kingdoms and of course the time of the ten toes where the clay and the iron are trying to mix. Amen. As we approach 2024, we are one year closer to God's coming. We are down where the stone is about to be cut out of the mountain. Amen. And we're looking forward to his coming. Wherever you are right now, as we approach 2024, I hope that you will draw a little bit closer as we approach this new year because 2024 is going to be, I believe, a momentous year for the beginning and fulfillment of some prophecies. Amen. And we're going to look closely at them in Bible studies to come. If at this time you could bow your hearts with me, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts. Help us to draw near to you as your coming ever quickly approaches. Lord, we thank you for taking us through 2023. Equip us, empower us, Lord God. Help us, O God, to be aligned with your will, that we will be ready, hallelujah, when that stone comes. Lord, we thank you right now, Lord Jesus, because you are upon the rock, Lord God. You told us to build our house. Lord, we give you all the praise and the glory, and we thank you for your greatness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.